Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast where we talk about marketing, media, TV, pop culture, technology, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek. With me back, as always, is Kamiko McCoy, our social editor and co-host of the podcast. Kamiko, how you doing? I'm doing good. Always happy to be here. Wonderful. Thanks for making time for us, as always. Also got back Lisa Lacey, a staff writer here at Adweek who covers the uh, kind of world of retail and uh, technology. Lisa, thanks uh, for joining us again. Oh, thanks for having me. And also got back. It's been a while. We we, we go through these spurts where we have you on <laughs> like like four weeks in a row. So it, right around uh, when fall seems to be creeping up, it's Jason Lynch, our editor who covers the TV video media worlds. Uh, Jason, thanks for joining. Yeah, it's good to be here. We've got a few big things for you to talk about, uh, and uh, on the news front, on the where where you've been for the last uh, what would you say, like two weeks, three weeks, uh, three, <laughs> not that you were three counting. very long weeks <laughs> at the Television Critics Association uh, summer press tour, which is a sounds like just nonstop uh, cavalcade of meetings and updates on what. Uh, TV networks and other major players are up to. So we'll be talking about kind of the highlights of that. You could distill down those three fun weeks for us into into a short podcast discussion. Uh, and we'll also be talking about uh, our Project Isaac winners. This is Adweek's big award for innovation in marketing and product innovation. Uh, and it's always one of the most fun awards we do each year to talk about. So we'll be going over some of our favorites from this year uh, that are featured in this week's uh, edition of the print magazine. But first, let's talk about the big news. All right, Jason. So CBS and Viacom are merging. It sounds like this wasn't a huge surprise to a lot of people uh, who had been watching this. And uh, also, what's fascinating to me is, I mean, they just split up like 13 years ago, right? They did. And, um, and you know, probably in hindsight, they, they never should have done that. And I guess they said it sounded like a good idea at the time. This is also something that has been – they've been talking about this on and off for the last three years. And there were basically three separate periods where there were very intense conversations about a potential merger. Uh, and then the third and final time those talks really picked up was earlier this summer. And we've 
we've basically been waiting every week. Is this going to be the week they finally announce it? We had, uh, they had really tried to get this announcement out by last Thursday or about a week ago when each company had their earnings calls on the same day. They couldn't make that, that deadline and they finally did um, a few days later. So yes, they are going to be recombining. It's something that Sherry Redstone, who is the head of National Amusements, the company that owns both of those companies. Um, her father is Sumner Redstone. You know, she's been pushing this for a very long time. The biggest kind of uh, per, the, the biggest obstacle in this was former CEO, uh, former CBS CEO Les Moonves, who really did not think this uh, idea made sense for a lot of reasons. Lots of arguments over who would kind of control that new company. And then when he was out a year ago for his sexual harassment, um, many sexual harassment uh, you know, allegations. Um, he, you know, that, so that big obstacle was kind of removed. So this, this seemed like a foregone conclusion at that point. And now we're at the point where it's actually going to happen. And, and at some point, they say by the end of the year, these companies will combine into a single entity called Viacom CBS. That's a very original name. I like when <laughs> they really stretch themselves. <laughs> Um, so remind us, uh, you know, I know we've talked about Viacom recently uh, with, you know, Pluto TV and, yep. and some of the other things they've done. But remind us some of the bigger uh, components that Viacom owns. So this is definitely a merger on a smaller scale than some of the ones we've talked about in the last year, AT&T, Time Warner or Disney Fox. This is this is a much smaller version of that. Um, so you've got so what CBS brings to the table is obviously the CBS network, but they also have CBS All Access. They have Showtime, they have the Pop uh, TV cable network. They have um, uh, they have a couple a couple other elements, but then Viacom brings both the Paramount Movie Studio and then their slew of cable networks: MTV, Nickelodeon, TV Land, uh, the Paramount Network, uh, among many others. Uh, as well as Pluto TV, as we've discussed before, which was that free AVOD service that they, that they brought um, that they bought earlier this year. So, you know, as you look at this, this doesn't necessarily seem like as um, as good a fit as some of the other mergers that we've had. But I feel like one area that this is going to be great for both companies is going to be in the streaming world. CBS already has CBS All Access up and running. And it's been that way for five years. And when you have all these other companies trying to get into the streaming service this year, Warner Warner Media and NBC Universal next year, and Apple and Disney, they have a five year head start. And now they're going to be able to take all the Viacom library content and put that in there. Then going the other direction, you know, Viacom has Pluto TV, this free streaming service, which they can then take CBS content and help that. So it feels like this two pronged approach to the streaming world. There'll be a subscription option, but then there'll also be a free option is kind of a great one-two punch that um, a lot of other companies won't have. You know, do you see them kind of doling these sh- these programs, these shows out in one bucket or the other? You know, either we're going to put them on CBS All Access where you pay a subscription fee and there's no ads, or you're going to put them on Pluto TV where they're ad-supported but it's free and just kind of dole those out? Or do you think it's going to be a little more compartmentalized than that and, and all CBS stuff will live on CBS? Or how do you think they're going to do that? I think it's going to be a little bit of both. Uh, you know, Going back to when I talked to Viacom, CEO Bob Backish, who is now going to be CEO of this combined company about Pluto, he had stressed that Pluto was always going to have content that was at least 18 months old. So, for example, if it was going to air SpongeBob episodes, it would be episodes from earlier in the run. It wouldn't be anything that had been on Nickelodeon in the last year and a half. 
And I think that's going to be um, probably the strategy for any content. I definitely – they've talked on the, um, the, the earnings – they, they talked about the investors call the day this merger was announced about very quickly taking the CBS content, moving it to Pluto, trying to put some Viacom content all, all on all access. So I think it's going to be an experiment and they'll – Maybe things will be on Pluto for a little bit of time and then come off and go into all access and they'll try and figure out exactly what works. One thing I definitely think that you will see is a, a big chunk of Nickelodeon content, children's content, go to all access because that is – you know children's programming is kind of a, a key component of um, streaming strategy these days with all these new services coming in. If you're tempted to cancel a streaming service for something else – but it has a show that your kid loves, like let's say SpongeBob, you are not going to be able to cancel it because your 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 four-year-old or five-year-old is not going to allow that to happen. So so they see this as like a really big um, you know, opportunity for them to to take a lot of Nickelodeon shows and put them potentially on all access. And suddenly that that catapults that from a a, uh, a an outlet that, oh, okay, well, Good Fight is a great show in Star Trek, but maybe there's not not anything else. To an essential component of your of your kind of media, um, you know, your media home, your media diet. I have one really important question on that front. Where is Avatar: The Last Airbender going to end up? Because uh, that thing has been like my white whale of trying to hunt that thing down on streaming, uh, and and it's just never popped up. Where is it going to go? Uh, that's a good question, and I really think a lot of shows like that that haven't been on streaming for a long period of time. SpongeBob is another. If you look at shows like Big Bang Theory, which have never been streaming, these all of these respective companies are going to finally start to tap that for their streaming services. So I can't say for sure where that show is going to end up, but I definitely feel like within the next year or two, almost all of the biggest shows that have not been available on streaming are going to be in the streaming ecosystem somewhere. And unfortunately, they will probably all be at different um, different outlets. You know, kind of forcing you to subscribe to a ton of them. Kumiko, do you have a like childhood comfort show that that either has not been on streaming or that would motivate you to be part of a streaming service? Well, I don't have one that's not on a streaming services. Um, I don't know how long ago Hulu added Golden Girls. But yeah, it, was about, it was about a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> but I did notice. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, because I did notice when I first started getting um, like Netflix and things like that. Like I was like, where the hell is Golden Girls? Why is it not on here? That mm-hmm. is a classic. Um, so ever since that was added, I've kind of been in a good place. <laughs> my uh, my kids currently it's uh, it's We Bear Bears. Like wherever We Bear Bears lives uh, is is where my kids insist that we. <laughs> <laughs> Which at the moment I think it's actually split between Netflix and Hulu, like it's on both. But uh, but you know, to Jason's point, that's it has a lot of sway. Like I guarantee, if we said, "Ah, we're going to cut Hulu," uh, my kids would be like, "Uh, no, that's where the newer We Bear Bears are." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which, by the way, that's a really good show. If you've never watched it, it despite the name sounding very childish, it's a uh, it's uh, it's real good, really great writing. Let um, Lisa, does your does your kid have like a must have show? Uh, he does. I mean, he. I feel like he splits his time between um, Prime Video and uh, YouTube. He watches a lot of stuff on YouTube. He likes like that Ryan kid who unboxes toys, um, and uh, I don't know about Hulu, but Netflix. He's he's it's superheroes. He's into that. Uh, he's found uh, some. There's Star Wars stuff on on Netflix, I believe. So he's he's pretty evenly. 
spaced out. All right. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, TCA, the Television Critics Association, where Jason has been, uh, as he mentioned, for the last three weeks. Uh, this is one of the biggest gatherings, uh, obviously, of television critics, but of TV executives as well. It's, it almost probably rivals the uh, the upfronts in terms of getting everybody together in one place. Uh, Jason, what was the big topic this year, like the thing that everybody, whether on stage or just in conversations in the hallway, what was everybody thinking about? So it's interesting because usually when you go to these events and you know, we, we've talked about this before, but but every day a new media company or network comes and they their execs are there, their shows that are going to come out in the next six months are there. So it's not only the broadcasters who kind of talk about like the fall shows, but it's cable, it's streaming, it's everybody. And and these peak TV, you know, this peak TV era, press tour is getting longer and longer as there's more outlets. And and usually, you know, when I do my my wrap up at the end of this, it's always like, oh, there's you know four or five you know big topics that everybody was talking about or kind of you know uh, came to the forefront. And this this year for the first time, this summer for the first time, there was basically it boiled down to one thing, which was in essence the entire industry versus Netflix. So. Where in the past, you would have, you know, maybe a broadcaster coming up and, and talking about, well, we're going to be better than, you know, our broadcast competitors, you know, CBS's will be better than ABC or, or NBC this year, this is why, or, and the cable companies doing the same thing, you know, HBO and Showtime rivaling. This year, basically, everybody has dropped kind of those squabbles, and it's just all about, this is why we're better than Netflix, or this is why we're as good as Netflix, and while some of them didn't use didn't say Netflix by name, they just talked about you know their rivals. But it was very clear that they were talking about Netflix when they were just talking about companies that have incredible amounts for their programming budget. I mean, everything was clearly pointing the finger at Netflix. Other people called Netflix out by name, but it was really interesting where broadcast, cable, streaming outlets all lined up together, coming up with a bunch of different ways. And I, I wrote a story that kind of summed up seven ways that they all felt that they were superior to Netflix, um, which is really just interesting and really speaks to the way that in just five years, Netflix has really become kind of the the center of the, the TV ecosystem and everyone feels like they need to position themselves, um, you know, versus Netflix and and not the other dozens or hundreds of outlets that exist. I, I mean, is there blood in the water here? Are they, they sense that there actually is a, a, you know, a weakness that they can go after with Netflix? Well, I I, I think there, there's two different things. One, there is a little bit of blood in the water because on the last Netflix earnings call for the first time ever, they, they lost U.S. subscribers. Now, this is a small amount. And I think that if Stranger Things had come out a week earlier, which would have been in the second quarter, that it probably would have erased, you know, any any potential um, subscriber losses that they had. But still, like it's 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 this first indication of wait a minute, okay, this is actually a company that is not necessarily going to just endlessly grow and add subscribers um, every quarter. So you saw that you saw you know a little bit of vulnerability there. And even going back to like the you know there has been more backlash against Netflix. This year from consumers than ever before, you think about the outrage when they canceled one day at a time, which, you know, again, wasn't maybe a Stranger Things level hit for them, but had a very vocal fan base. And all of a sudden, it's kind of this, wait, wait a minute, Netflix was always supposed to kind of save my favorite shows. Now they're canceling a show that somebody else needs to save. So, so you know, you're, you're getting kind of the first inklings that, that um, you know, Netflix may – there may be a, bit, a little bit of a backlash growing. At the same time, you have what I keep referring to as Streamageddon coming up where you're going to have Disney Plus. You're going to have HBO Max. You're going to have whatever NBC Universal's offering is going to be. 
You're going to have Apple TV Plus. You're going to have all these new streaming competitors, which are going to be fighting for your time when there is already more TV shows ever, you know, than have ever, you know, been made before. So they are, you know, and and the, I think this is going to accelerate cord cutting. So everybody is feeling the pressure to to say this is why we still matter. This is why we'll st- we're still important. And Netflix is not the be all end all of the TV world as much as they say that they that they are and as much as they want to be they're not and here are things that we can do that Netflix can't so it's 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 been really interesting to see um you know to see kind of everybody kind of align along those lines and I'm I'm not going to take us away from TCA but Lisa while we have you here you are Amazon expert uh you know I uh, Amazon's been a really interesting player in the streaming space. I mean, I think their original programming has really been, you know, it, somewhat up and down maybe, but but really been stellar uh, in the last year or two. But what outlook do you have from them of of how big of a play their their streaming, uh, you know, aspects are going to be over this next year as this Streamageddon is coming? Boy, that is – it's not it- – part of the business that I've followed super closely. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I, I think of, of like Fleabag, which was wonderful and I loved and and why uh, another reason why it's hard to like they get you into the, the prime ecosystem and it's it's hard to, to get out of that. But in terms of how that figures into their priorities, I'm not 100 percent sure they have so many irons in the fire between, uh, you know, the, the cloud business and and uh, and go and uh, why ever they're they're getting people's body scans that the fashion business <laughs> seems to be uh, a, a pretty huge priority. Um, but I did a story a, a couple of weeks ago about how why you know with when Nike scans part of your body, it's not quite as scary as when Amazon scans part of your body because Amazon does so many other things. So yeah. The, yeah. the potential or the sky's the limit, whereas with Nike, it's it's probably more going to be limited to shoes and, and stuff like that. So Jason maybe probably would be better, has a better... Yeah, the, the Amazon TV execs were at Press Tour and they reiterated something that they have said before, but they felt was was especially important as we're entering kind of this, this new round of the streaming wars. And that is unlike every other streaming outlet, um, you know, which their primary purpose is to get you to subscribe, Amazon's is just kind of like an add-on for for Prime customers. Like basically their idea is... We just want to keep our prime prime customers happy. Like we just like this is just kind of like an additional thing, and if they you know pay that money and 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 get you know the two day shipping or you know now one day shipping, and and you know see a show like Fleabag, which is probably the best the best show that's been released this year, um, that that's great. But but you know so so they kind of see their um their job is as to is to kind of keep Amazon customers happy, which is which is kind of a, a strange way to look at, you know, look at look at TV, but is something that, you know, Netflix all Netflix just needs you to subscribe. Amazon just needs, you know, just wants hopes that you will keep your Prime subscription. But, you know, that but Prime Video is one of dozens of kind of add-ons to to that, you know, that that those shipping benefits that you get there. Well, I think you sort of saw that too with the uh, the Prime Day concert where they were pushing right. uh, the the stream music streaming service so heavily and um, weaving in all of these other different Amazon products because uh, I mean that is sort of the this they're looking to uh, sign up 
people, get more people into the the prime universe, um, and probably offload some some stuff that's been sitting in the fulfillment centers for a while. But mostly, they just want to get more sign up more prime members, and and they say that they did. So it's 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 effective. It, what's interesting to me is I really do think of Amazon more as my new red box, right? Like it's just <laughs> it's just where I rent movies. Like that's where and and buy them. And and maybe that's the bigger play is that a few years ago I think where you bought digital movies was a bit more of a wild west, right? Like it was you know, there were so many options of what you could do and I think sometimes it was still easier just buy a Blu-ray. And then uh, now I, ju- I just default to buying it all on Amazon, like every time a new movie comes out. And, and that's I think that stuff keeps me in the ecosystem. Not that you have to be a Prime member to do that, but I, I now think of Amazon as like my movie hub with <laughs> occasional good shows like Good Omens or Fleabag or something. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was just curious, uh, you know, because I do feel like they've always had one foot in this argument, but <laughs> to both of your points, like they can survive this war <laughs> with, uh, you know, with no real no real problem. Uh, but Jason, so tell us, uh, what was some of the other kind of biggest announcements that came out of TCA? Um, so there, there weren't too many other ones. I mean, I would say probably um, probably the, the, the biggest programming announcement, and there, there's usually a few of those, was FX uh, announced that the the uh, they finally have figured out what the third season of American Crime Story is going to be, and it's going to be called Impeachment, and it's going to focus on the the Bill Clinton Monica Lewinsky scandal. And what's interesting about this is that Ryan Murphy had toyed with doing this a couple of years ago, and he ultimately dropped the idea because he felt like um, I think he he had come across Monica Lewinsky, and he had actually realized like I, I only feel like she should she needs to be the one who is involved in helping to tell this story, and if she's not involved. I don't want to do it, and she's actually going to be a producer on this now, um, which is which is really interesting. And um, John Langraft, the chairman of FX Networks, has said um, that this is going to it's going to follow that story from the point of view of the women involved. So it's Monica Lewinsky, it's Linda Tripp, it's Paula Jones, um, and you know we, we we get the sense that if Bill Clinton is involved at all, he's going to be kind of a, a minor point of that story. The American Crime Stories has been kind of one of the, the most successful things FX has done. Obviously, People versus O.J. Simpson, I think, averaged something like 12 million people, um, which especially for FX is, is just you know sensational numbers. Then uh, season two, which was about the assassination of Gianni Versace, was uh, not as big of, um, of an audience success, but it was also uh, – it did really well at the Emmys. And, and this one, which by the way is going to be released in September 2020 right in the thick of election season, is kind of sure to be – very provocative and 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 much discussed. Yeah, I I think my I'd be a little more dubious of this one if it hadn't been for um, the second season of Slow Burn, the Slate podcast. You know, their first season was about the Nixon impeachment and Watergate, uh, and it was fantastic. And then I think some people were kind of skeptical of that when season two was dedicated to Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. Uh, but you know, man, it was fascinating. It was it was a great podcast. Uh, to your point, Monica Lewinsky was not involved. Uh, you know, I think they kept trying to get her, and I can't remember whether she ended up agreeing to it. It's just been a while since I listened to it. But it definitely felt like it would have been much better, uh, you know, had she been involved. And I think just that story has changed in the cultural lens so much uh, since, you know, some of us lived through that as adults. And the perception of Monica Lewinsky, the perception of each of these players, the perception of Bill Clinton, uh, so different than it would be in kind of a post-Me Too era, in just a modern era. And I'm I'm fascinated to see it because I do think 
you know, listening to that podcast, I was just like, man, the, the world has been kind of thinking about this in such a different way uh, that, than, it, than it does now. And Monica Lewinsky, of course, has become, you know, a very vocal figure in social media. She's very funny and, and you know, charismatic on there. She's been a big advocate for, against bullying and, and has worked with uh, the agency BBDO to put out uh, some really good anti-bullying and, and uh, kind of online harassment, uh, ad, you know, ad campaigns. So, yeah, she's She's kind of emerged in the last few years. I think that'll be a really fascinating project. Yeah, she had a great interview um, with John Oliver a couple months ago as well. That makes me very excited um, for this this project, especially because she'll she'll be involved in it. And also, I, I really love the the casting. So Beanie Feldstein, who's had this great year, she's been in um, this terrific movie this summer called Booksmart. She was in uh, What We Do in the Shadows. She's appeared in Lady Bird, and she's going to star as uh, as Monica Lewinsky in this. And I think it's great casting. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, what else? Uh, what else was announced? Um, so, I mean, as, as far as as far as programming announcements, that that was pretty. That that was the the, the big one. But I will say, um, I don't want to talk too much about the shows, the broadcast shows. I was most interested in because I have a feeling we'll, we'll we'll talk about that as we get closer to the new season. But I will say the one show overall that um, that really kind of seemed to stand out in in what was more a mediocre year or mediocre press tour overall as far as new shows go. And that was going – actually, it was another Amazon show going back to Amazon called Modern Love. And it's an anthology um, series that's based on the New York Times column, which has also become a podcast on its own. And every um, every episode focuses on a different uh, story that appeared in one of the columns. And I haven't really – followed Modern Love all that much in the time. So I just kind of expected this was just going to be like a romantic comedy, you know, almost like uh, like those – the ones that Gary Marshall used to direct, like the anthology ones where like everybody would fall in love over a holiday. And it would be like, oh, it would be kind of a meet cute type thing. This is very you – know, this was surprisingly moving and these aren't just kind of traditional kind of romance stories. There's different types of love that are involved. One is between the relationship that a single mom has with um, with her doorman who becomes kind of like a father figure confidant. Another uh, – Anne Hathaway plays a woman um, who it kind of starts uh, – it starts as more kind of, of of just like this traditional like romantic comedy and then you find out kind of a lot of things about her. And then you know, story make, uh, ends up being more about her, and that that was uh, they're all they're all very different, and and that was you know this this idea of like a, a really big swing, something something that uh, you just don't see very often on TV, and that is out of every show that I saw, and I saw a lot of shows at press tour. That was the one that I was the most kind of optimistic uh, and intrigued about. That one is that one's going to come out in October. All right. Well, thanks so much for helping recap all that. And definitely recommend everyone check out, if you go to adweek.com, check out our TV video section. You will find no shortage of articles that Jason has been filing from TCA and uh, and his team and some, re- some really good takeaways from all this. So definitely check that out. Uh, and, uh, and his coverage of the Viacom CBS merch and we'll like like you just said we'll have you back on because fall is coming fast so we've got a lot of tv to talk about uh jason thanks for joining us this week sure all right we're gonna take a quick break and then we come back we're gonna talk about this year's project isaac winners uh the big awards that adweek gives for innovation and invention uh so we'll be right back for that all right we're back uh both uh, Jason and Kamiko had to step out. So, Lisa, thanks for sticking around. So, it's not a lonely podcast for me. Oh, no, I'm happy to keep you company. <laughs> Um, the uh, my mom says she appreciates it. <laughs> you know she can't pay, she can't pick me up for another forty five minutes. So, um, 
So let's talk about Project Isaac. This is an award. I don't actually know how long we've been giving this one out. I want to say it's it's probably seven years or so. I should know, but um, it it awards. It's named after Isaac Newton. It's it's uh, you know awarding invention, innovation, discovery in in marketing. Uh, so this is one of our more open ended awards. Like we really try to. It's not necessarily about results or about. Uh, even craft necessarily. It's about ideas and and pushing you know pushing the boundaries of what marketing is and can do. Uh, so th- with that, uh, our biggest winner, since it's named after Isaac Newton, is the Gravity Award. Uh, the the Gravity winner for this year is the Traffic Jam Whopper from We Believers. Lisa wrote uh, the article about this one in this week's print edition. So she's going to tell us a bit about it. But first, let's listen to a little of the case study. Uh, this is a campaign out of Mexico uh, that, uh, you know, to set up the case study a little bit here. Uh, essentially, the Burger King found a way to deliver Whoppers to people stuck in traffic jams, uh, which is something that we've all, I think, experienced sitting in traffic and thinking about food. And they, they have closed the gap. So let's listen to a little bit of that. The Traffic Jam Whopper. We used real-time data to detect our potential buyers in a traffic jam to offer them a Whopper and deliver on the moon. Fernando, buenos días. Señor Eduardo, buenas tardes. Ay, qué bello. chinga, cabrón. Me cagaba de hambre. Our media was 100% dynamic, promoting our service only in high congestion zones. By leveraging traffic and drivers' real-time data, we adjusted our billboards' location and content. The messages displayed information about the remaining time in traffic to order and personalized updates about deliveries in progress. Also, Waze banner ads and push notifications invited drivers to get a Whopper as soon as they entered our delivery zones. People were able to use voice commands to place the order and avoid tickets. Finally, using the latest Google Maps APIs, our app pinpointed vehicle location and speed in order to deliver for the first time ever to a driver on the move. All right, Lisa, as I mentioned, you wrote the story about this one. Tell us how this idea came about. How were they inspired to do this? Well, it almost seems like one of those stories that, that that's a little too good to be true, but um, Mexico City, according to, I think it was a Tom Tom, their their figures. They say Mexico City has the worst traffic in the world, and so um, the guys from We Believers were on their way to a meeting with uh, Burger King CMO. Is it Fernando Machado? That's yeah, his Fernando name. Fernando Machado. Mm-hmm. Machado, yes. So, uh, and he had said that. I don't know if he said he wanted something super relevant to Mexico prior to that or whether that was something that he said in the meeting itself. But anyway, it was like an hour-long ride in an Uber on the way to this meeting. And so uh, as they were trying to think of these super relevant ideas for Mexico, uh, Gustavo Loria was like a light bulb and <laughs> said, hey, <laughs> traffic is bad. Why don't we deliver Whoppers to people stuck in traffic? And uh, the rest is history. Yeah, so that's Gustavo Loria, the chief creative officer at We Believers. Uh, and yeah, to your point, this this is one of those, like, if you made a movie about advertising, right? <laughs> and like, you're, you're on your way to the pitch, and you're just, you don't have the ideas. It's it's like an episode of uh, of uh, Bewitched or something. <laughs> and then you, get, you get struck by like, 
I'm stuck in traffic, man, if only I had a burger. Wait, guys, that's <laughs> yes, it. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, So he said that, that Machado accepted it right on the spot. There was no formal pitch. Uh, I think in over the course of our interview, the first time he said it took three seconds. The second time it was less than five minutes. So, uh, But very short window uh, before he approved it. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, it, there were a lot of, of details to work out. The, uh, the Burger King... Mexico app, I think, was a little bit dated, so they couldn't integrate something like this into that, so they had to make a whole new app, uh, and uh, they had to get people to pre-register, and they were very surprised by how many people, I think it was 10% of the people who downloaded the app were willing to give their email addresses, credit card numbers, uh, their car make, model, color, license plate number. Uh, and I guess they, Burger King Mexico had never done mobile payments before, so they uh, they were very optimistic about that. And then it wasn't – this was just a month-long uh, program back in April, I think. So uh, it was sort of like uh, they haven't fully integrated it into the the point-of-sale system. Uh, but th- So that's, I think, something that they're thinking about doing now. But they figured out – these fixes to kind of make it work for uh, for the month for kind of a, to test this out. So they had iPads next to the cash registers. So uh, the the restaurants kind of you know knew what was going on and, and what orders were coming in. Um, but they had to get the delivery drivers these handsets that were compatible with the GPS system. And then then they realized that it would have to be voice activated in order to comply with traffic laws. And uh, they also had to have these voice assistants. Um, speak Spanish, which was another challenge. Uh, so, and, and because people were in their cars and, and driving, the, the menu had to be very simple. So there were a lot of technical things to, to work out, but they, they made it happen for this month-long, uh, this month-long test. This is like a classic modern um, Burger King plan because they come up with these ideas, or at least Fernando uh, approves these ideas that come out of their many, many different agency partners. The ideas are always these really simple you know, one sentence idea that makes total sense, that they're completely obvious once you say them out loud. And then they are bafflingly complicated <laughs> to execute. And the, to their credit, you know, Burger King puts in the work and these agencies put in the work. To your, I mean, you listed not even all of the logistical yeah. <laughs> hurdles they had to get over uh, to make this thing happen. When you talk about the dynamic ads that would promote all this stuff and the, the ads even let people know, hey, if you're in this car, like your 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 whopper is coming. Uh, I mean, they really went all out. And to your point, they they it was a limited time thing and in a in a specific area, but that allowed them to kind of go deep on the functionality. Right. Yeah. No. They they had to identify the the traffic hotspots and and which places had restaurants close enough so they'd be able to do. A, delivery in 30 minutes or less. And I think it was a small number of cases, like 10% of the time where the driver actually had moved out of the delivery window. So it didn't totally work all the time. But uh, there there was also, I think they said 10 to 15% of the time at the point the delivery driver was leaving the restaurant, the car happened to be like right in front of the Burger King. So they just, you know, were able to just (laughs) hand it off. Uh, Just lob it, lob it through your window. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, Whopper Detour uh, from FCB New York, uh, of course, was kind of the biggest talker this year in the sense of it won at Cannes and it won the Titanium Grand Prix at Cannes, um, which is a similar kind of innovation thing. But here's my thing with Whopper Detour. 
uh, had had a few issues to it that I would say differ from this and make this one a really good kind of Project Isaac top winner is that Whopper Detour is is a little confusing. I mean, it's not a little confusing. It, it's very confusing. It's this idea you get a free, well, you get a one cent Whopper, but to get it, you have to download the app. You have to enter all your info. You have to go to a McDonald's. You have to unlock the coupon. Then you have to go to a Burger King. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I get it. And it's super clever. Uh, and they admit that, you know, Fernando Machado has said, this is the most backward idea. It violates every rule of marketing. It should have failed miserably, but instead it was the, one of their most successful campaigns of all time. But you can't scale it either, right? Like, you can't do Whopper Tour 50 times in 50 different places because everyone's going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. You know, it, it got its one huge burst of publicity. Uh, it really taught the brand a lot about some of these issues we're talking about, about how they use their app and how they use mobile ordering and how they use, you know, a lot of these different features. Geofencing, right? That That's at play here, too, of, of kind of drawing these lines of where can people participate in this via mobile. So it covers a lot of those. But this idea is, is almost infinitely scalable. Uh, I mean, not to say that every city has traffic this bad, but a whole lot of cities have traffic this bad. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're talking about bringing it to some other uh, cities, L.A., Sao Paulo, Shanghai, uh, and they even mentioned the U.S. border as a potential place to to do this because there are lots of of people people waiting in lines, um, but. The, you know, every country has a different app or, or not all Burger Kings in, in other countries have the same app. Uh, and these countries have different traffic laws. So there's there's a lot of things they have to figure out. And plus, I think Burger King Mexico wanted to integrate what they've done into their POS system. I, I just – it's – S is already system, so I, I said it twice. Sorry. Um, I, thought, I thought POS was point of, <laughs> point of sale. Oh, no, point of sale. Maybe not. Sorry. Um, so so they have to do some integration work and, and then kind of figure out how to – how to, I guess, comply with laws in other countries and, and things like that. But yeah, it does it does have potential. They'd also mentioned stadiums that had Burger Kings in them already. So uh, for so delivery to your seat was was a possibility as well. Or you know, when an amphitheater concert, like a widespread panic concert or something's getting out, and everyone's sitting in that long line of traffic <laughs> waiting to leave. Oh yeah, yeah. There you, you know, go. it's like two in the morning. <laughs> Bring you a Whopper. Oh, yeah. It's uh, yes. a million dollar idea. Let's cut this out of the podcast. Me and you pitch that part to <laughs> Fernando. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, it was certainly one of the, the obviously, it got our Gravity Awards, this one that uh, we really felt uh, accomplished a lot of things that required a ton of innovation uh, and a ton of hard work. Uh, but the concept is just so simple and so scalable. And that's something we really looked for. Let's talk about a few of the others. Um, we I won't linger on this one because we did a whole podcast episode about it. But HBO's Westworld app, The Maze uh, from 360i is the agency behind that, uh, that used Alexa in some uh, really kind of fascinating ways to create this hours of content uh, through an interactive game with professional voice acting. We did a whole bonus episode on this with the creators uh, from the Can Lion. So if you're really into that one, uh, you can uh, you can definitely go back through the podcast feed and check out our interview with the creators from 360i who made that one. Um, other than that, I, I guess, Lisa, I would just throw out, since, again, you're our Amazon guru, there aren't many, like, super ambitious voice things, you know? Um, it, it's it, I remember even talking to them about it when I asked, you know, did you have any other 
big big voice activation in-depth skills you could look to for inspiration they were like not really <laughs> they're they're just having this doesn't seem like a field that marketers have gone all that deep in yeah i was really excited about voice search a couple of years ago uh but i feel like it's i mean so going back to maybe 2015 2016 uh i, I feel like everyone was just or google and amazon and, and the the that the companies making these devices were very, very sensitive about um, – I mean, they want to drive adoption, so they don't want to bother you. <laughs> they don't want – you know, they, they, they're they trying to uh, – I, I feel like the episode of, of Seinfeld where Elaine is describing the, the potential boyfriend as a squirrel she's trying to lure towards her and she doesn't want to make any big sudden movements. It's it's like that. You know, they, they're they trying to bring more customers into the fold. And I, I, I haven't honestly done much on voice search or, or voice-enabled devices recently because I think that that's maybe still the case. I mean, there was that Beauty and the Beast movie announcement that Google says was not an ad. It was just them providing information and no money was exchanged. But people, um, I feel like we're not super happy about that <laughs> when they were asking sort of, you know, like, hey, Google, what it, what does my day look like? And and Google said, oh, by the way, Beauty and the Beast is in, is in movie theaters. So <laughs> um, so I don't know if, if, if anyone has figured that out yet. Uh, I mean, it obviously will come. I mean, it, it's people, we pay money for TVs and we've been seeing ads on TV for a very long time. I'm, I'm sure that They'll they'll figure it out eventually, but I don't really know. Um, I can't think off off the top of my head of any really great. And now when I say that, I'm going to go back to my desk and then I will see something that I should have mentioned. But but I, it's still still the I don't know, wild west, uncharted territory, something like that. No one's figured it out yet, as far as I know. Yeah, and you know, part of it is that these are just very much appliance devices, right? Like I, I don't – when I plop down in my living room, I've got, uh, you know, a PlayStation. I've got a Nintendo. Um, I've got uh, the, you know, Amazon Fire TV or whatever. Like I have these things that I think of as my entertainment devices. My that That's where I go when I want to be entertained. Like my voice devices are not in those, those same areas. They're in high traffic, like on the counter in between the kitchen and the whatever. You know what I mean? It's like it's where you can walk by and just ask it what the weather's going to be. Um, and so – you know, I was thinking about that, that that how many people even have these devices in a place where they're going to sit down and have a three hour entertainment experience <laughs> with, a, you know, with a voice activated device uh, beyond your phone, which is is different. You know, that's not necessarily that this is really more about the, you know, the the homes and the uh, Alexa devices. But uh, but yeah, anyway, so I recommend anybody who wants to know more about that one. Definitely check out our special episode on that. Uh, I wanted to mention Uncle Drew. Uh, this is one uh, pretty fascinating piece of branded content that evolved from what started as a digital short with Kyrie Irving, the basketball player, basically dressing up as an old version of himself and kind of embarrassing young guys on the court and being an awesome basketball player. Uh, and it was it was a short that they made with Pepsi. Uh, and uh, I, th- I think the agency is FMCGG. Uh, and Pepsi's content studio um, did a lot of this, but they turned it into an entire Hollywood movie, <laughs> like, like, and it made forty-four million dollars. And that's just not something you see too often. When it does, it's usually kind of cringy, right? When you know, when a, a branded character or mascot gets something that big, you're like, ooh, nah, I don't think we need a 
progressive flow movie, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, th- this one, it, it, you know, I think it relies on you really caring about Kyrie Irving, being a basketball fan, you know. But in the end, the, you know, they they turned it into uh, pretty solid. Well, I'll I'll, I'll quote the uh, Lou Arbiter, the general manager for the content studio at Pepsi uh, said in our piece, he said, no one wants branded content. They just, or no one wants branded entertainment. They just want entertainment. And, you know, but if you can sell some Pepsi along the way and make $44 million off your movie, uh, pretty good too. So very impressive, ultra ambitious. uh, And, uh, and, you know, just, I think it'll be fascinating to see what comes of that. Like who points to Uncle Drew and says, let's do that, you know, with our Super Bowl ad character or whoever. Um, it could be good, could be, could be abused, but, uh, I think, I think the thing with that one is if you, if you put all that money into building a movie around a character that people don't care that much about, you're, you're going to be the one who pays for it, uh, literally. So, uh, be interesting to see what brands do with that. Uh, uh, one big winner, Lockheed, Lockheed Martin, uh, and McCann are always on this list. Like every year, they're always making a VR astronaut helmet or a bus that drives around Mars. <laughs> you know, they're, they're like always doing something in this space. Uh, this year, it was a recruiting tool they made. Uh, basically a giant mysterious box that they would bring around to uh, different universities and students who are looking at going into engineering type career paths uh, would go into this box and they would have to solve uh, really difficult problems. One of them was supposedly almost impossible to solve. Uh, and it was described as the first ever animated infinity room created with angled mirrors and a ceiling mounted digital screen. Uh, it's very immersive. There's some great videos of it. You can check it out on our site. Uh, but uh, I mean, at a time when most most companies, if they're there to recruit you, they're just going to bring some you know, some brochures or whatever. <laughs> like they're not going to bring a, a gigantic box you walk into. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, Lockheed just always always stepping that up and, and pops up on this list every single year. One I was really excited to talk about because I love the ones on this list that we've never heard of, that we have not covered. Uh, this is great. It's from Argentina. It's from a mobile phone company called uh, Twenty. I, I think T-U-E-N-T-I. Uh, this from uh, Wonderman Buenos Aires, which is uh, again is always on this list. W- uh, Wonderman in Buenos Aires is uh, just one of the most innovative agencies for sure. Uh, they created a mobile game called, uh, and I might be butchering the pronunciation here, but I think it's Patea, uh, P-I-T-A-Y-A, and uh, it is about instead of you rescuing a princess, it is about a princess taking care of herself, <laughs> and she she uh, goes out and you play as the princess. Uh, Fighting, but instead of fighting, I don't know, giant spiky turtles or whatever, uh, she is fighting against street harassment, being stigmatized, social expectations. Uh, you, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast quite a bit that in South America, uh, you know, women are harassed all around the world. That's for sure. South America has its own kind of specific issues with things like moral harassment uh, and a lot, a lot of really kind of ingrained cultural issues. So to see a major brand like this embrace it in a really clever way. Uh, of creating a mobile game like this that that confronts these things. And the numbers are pretty impressive. It was played for 2.1 million minutes, uh, which is it averages out to more than six minutes per user. I mean, I, I don't play many things on my phone for more than five minutes. So that that's pretty impressive. Lisa, what do you think of this one? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, as, a, as a single independent woman, <laughs> I, uh, I'm always uh, excited to see examples of, uh, you know, of us taking care of ourselves because there hasn't uh, – it hasn't always been that way. So I, I support anything uh, anything in that vein. 
Yeah, it's you know it's really interesting to look at how this could be its own podcast, and we're not going to go down this rabbit hole. But the, the portrayal of women in games. Uh, I play a lot of video games. My 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 wife and my kids play a lot of video games. And, you know, the portrayal of women is just advanced in so many ways. Uh, but but this takes it to a new place. You know, I think it's one thing to to take Lara Croft Tomb Raider from being just this kind of weird sex object to being a, a, a very tough, you know, powerful woman in the newer games. Like she's, you know, incredibly, uh, you know, powerful and smart. And, you know, they've really turned it into a very empowering figure. But but this, you know, she's not it's not her walking through the streets of a city being harassed. Right. Like that's a much more re- not too many women find themselves scaling cliffs in the Himalayas <laughs> and being attacked by like mythical ogres or, or you know, this is this is a much more real way of bringing it to it. So very cool project. Uh, and congratulations to to them for uh, creating something really interesting. Uh, man, we've got so many more. I don't have time to talk about all of them. We've got Dove uh, created the hashtag show us uh, campaign where they uh, basically 70 percent of women felt that they are not represented in images and media and advertising either because of their race or their ability uh, or the just the way they look. And so uh, they Dove partnered with Getty Images and a uh, advocacy group called Girl Gaze uh, to create Show Us, and they put more than five thousand photographs of women from thirty nine different countries, uh, no airbrushing, and they put them onto Getty Images. Uh, they've been downloaded by more than nine hundred companies uh, in across forty countries and used, and I think seventy five hundred images uh, from this collection have already been used. So, uh, so yeah, it's a you know I love seeing these. This was promoted. At at Cannes this year, at the Cannes Lions, they had giant ads about this, basically promoting it to advertising people, which makes sense, right? Like Cannes Lions, it's mostly advertising people. Uh, but it was really cool, and just seeing the ads and and seeing what kind of uh, you know images and women that they're talking about, it was really effective, and uh, and it's good to see that one blowing up. And then last one I wanted to talk about, just because this did win, uh, maybe it won PR at. Uh, at the Can Lions, and it won it won a Grand Prix at the Can Lions, uh, but Wendy's and VML Y and R in Kansas City. Wendy's, of course, is known for being pretty snarky and uh, innovative when it comes to social, and this took it to a new place. Uh, they uh, invaded Fortnite. Uh, Lisa, you, you're I think your kid's not quite old enough to yet to be in the Fortnite. Addiction phase, right? No, but he doesn't know what it is. So um, become aware. It, it may be coming. The uh, so Fortnite, of course, has been. I, I think it might be waning a bit right now, but uh, has been the largest game on earth uh, for the last few years. And I'm sure a lot of brands try to figure out. You know, what are we going to do? Are we going to put an ad in it? Are we going to do some kind of like, oh, you can download a custom skin and then pay a bunch of money to have your custom you know, uh, cosmetics, uh, you know, enhancements for characters put on the, the game. No, Wendy's went in a much cooler direction. Uh, there was a big special event going on uh, in Fortnite. And as part of it, there were these uh, fast food restaurants got dropped into, like these kind of generic burger places got dropped into the Fortnite world. And they had freezers in them. And so Wendy's has this whole thing where their brand is largely built around never freezing their meat. Uh, it's always fresh. And they, of course, have made fun of, of McDonald's and have arguably driven McDonald's to start using a lot more uh, fresh meat. And uh, and so they created a character. I think it's the Little Red Riding Hood character. Um, they used that model to create a, a Wendy character. And then they had her go in. And while Fortnite, of course, everyone's trying to shoot each other. You're trying to survive the longest. 
And, and their character just went in and started smashing all of the freezers and just ignoring uh, the the other characters. <laughs> Which, you know, so it's like, it just had to look like an insane person. The first few times people saw it just had to be like, wait, what? why is there someone just smashing, <laughs> you know, the freezers? <laughs> and then eventually people have figured out, oh, it's Wendy. Uh, and of course, because... Twitch streaming is such a huge part of the Fortnite experience. You know, just doing this in the game might not have been noticed by all that many people because these games aren't played specifically by that many people at once. But streamers got a hold of it, started finding Wendy, started, uh, you know, amplifying it. And then they started doing the same thing. People were like, oh, I'm going to join Wendy and smashing all these freezers, which is not at all the point of the game and will not help you at all. <laughs> so if you're doing that, you're doing it as a choice. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, just just brilliant, really quick. I mean, it. I don't know if it cost them any money whatsoever, and they won a Grand Prix uh, at the Can Lions, and we have awarded them now a Project Isaac Award, just because sometimes innovation doesn't mean building a gigantic contraption, although that can do it too. But just saying, like, hey, what if we just go into this game and start smashing freezers? And uh, sometimes that's enough. You, you know what that reminds me of? The, when uh, when KFC followed 11 herbs and the Spice Girls on Twitter, yeah, right? And then it yeah. just like eventually somebody noticed and, and it became a, became a big thing. That's that's what it made me think of. Yeah. And there's, there's always backlash on these with the 11 herbs and spices. You know, I, 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 it's like whenever there's a campaign like this, people start private messaging me their complaints about ad campaigns, <laughs> which is always a sign that, that they know they are against the grain because <laughs> like they know if they tweet like this is dumb, people will be like, shut up. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, they always say, well, this isn't a real there's no idea here. There's no big <laughs> message here. And I'm like, I get what you're saying, but but you're wrong. Right. The in this case. Wendy's has really aggressively associated itself with fresh beef, you know, and for all the cattiness of their Twitter feed, that's the thing. You know, they ran a whole super ad about it, a Super Bowl ad about this, making fun of McDonald's and, and conveying this this whole fresh beef thing. Um, and so, you know, this is a brilliant continuation of that with uh, with KFC, you know, 11 Herbs and Spices has been their calling card for you know, however many decades that thing's been around. And it never hurts to remind people, especially when you've got a very crowded space uh, that they're competing in. And I mean, honestly, if just if you can come up with a great idea and pull it off in one afternoon uh, <laughs> without barely any corporate approval, man, go do it. <laughs> well, didn't, didn't the guy who noticed get like a painting of, of him, the colonel, something like that? I, yeah, I yeah. loved it. I, he, I loved that. Uh, he got a custom painting of him riding on... <laughs> He's either riding right. on the colonel's back <laughs> or the colonel yeah. is riding on his back. I can't remember exactly which it was. But, uh, but yeah, like that guy that was celebrated. And there were all these conspiracy theories. <laughs> People like messaging me like, but if you look at his LinkedIn, he's connected <laughs> to someone who works at this yeah. one office of Wyden and Kennedy. I'm like, God, it was just a dude who noticed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so congratulations to all of our honorees in this year's Project Isaac. Check out our print edition this week or check it out on adweek.com. Lisa's great story on the Traffic Jam Whopper uh, and many, many others. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun as always. Uh, Lisa, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me and chatting. It was very uh, fast food oriented <laughs> this week. Yeah, it really was. Uh, our theme music is by Home. Uh, this week's episode was produced by Chris Ahrens with production 
production assistance from Josh Rios and edited by Lane McGibney. Uh, if you have not already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can drop us a note at podcast at adweek.com. We always love hearing from you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, thanks to each of our guests for joining this week. I'm David Griner for Adweek. We'll be back next week. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.